0: Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is in-between stations radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA.
1: Good morning. Welcome to In Between Stations Radio. I think we're about three days off now of the fall equinox. And in shortwave radio, the equinox, equal days, equal nights, presents a sort of very uh, good format to pull in stations, well, faraway stations, shortwave stations, that you normally don't get. And uh, in this, you know, the, the, the amount of daylight uh, in the atmosphere, the ionosphere, and the amount of night, and the protons and the electrons bouncing around up there that move the, the uh, shortwave radio signals around can be interesting, and that, and that changes seasonally with the amount of sunlight or with the lack of sunlight. And... So during the equinox, you have sort of these equal days and equal nights. And so because the way the atmosphere the ionosphere is heated up, um, you can get really good uh, reception for these faraway stations. And the time of year and seasons are greatly, greatly affect um, the way shortwave radio works. Huh, I had uh, too much coffee this morning. I really uh, had these powerful coffee drink sometimes that I put all kinds of <laughs> things other than coffee itself in there or, or at least added to the coffee and uh, uh, lion's mane mushrooms, cacao, a couple of bananas, uh, pretty intense Colombian coffee. I'm going to talk about Colombia a little bit here because I have a, a dear friend from there uh, and we, I and her, have some good times together. We just had a recent episode at night where we discussed a lot of different things and i'll talk about that it's kind of interesting yeah so uh this morning uh my dog gunner is sleeping on his favorite spot on the uh i have a persian rug i guess or something like that and he's asleep and his ears go up and down as the frequencies on the radio shortwave radio change and the house is you know my living room is real blue uh in the early morning hours before the sun comes up, it just has this real blue sort of beautiful, odd effect. And then you can see the dial on the shortwave radio. I have several. Sometimes I don't want to broadcast, so I just listen. And that's fun. And then read a book. And I love all the exciting, strange and odd sounds that come with the different frequencies I move through. Or if I just set it on one frequency and listen to it with a sound turned down when I look in a book or read a novel or do research or whatever the hell I'm doing <laughs> writing in my journal as was what's the case this morning um let's go to a song let's go to and we got to have a song early in the morning right or nighttime depending on where you're at all right we're gonna go to a song here Okay, so welcome back. This is In Between Stations Radio. Murky is not here. We get a lot, I get a lot of emails about Murky, uh, and she gets irritated with this. Is she a digital voice? Is she AI-generated? We purposely, uh, or Murky does, we purposely mess around with her voice. That was the deal from the very start with, with uh, having Murky here on the station was... We want to intrigue you. Yes, Murky is a real person, and we're going to have her on. You know, without the sort of um, filters her voice goes through. We have a lot of fun with that. Um, you can take it for what you might, but she is real. <laughs> oh, so my uh, my packed coffee in the morning. So I'm listening to the to the. Um, the shortwave radio and of course with the equinox I just talked about, and get these newer stations I get and I started listening to uh, the voice of Korea, the Democratic is it nation or state of Korea Now that threw me off because you know they only have an hour broadcast that's in English and um, Democratic Korea <laughs> I wanted to know turns out it's North Korea. And um, it was pretty interesting. Uh, The music is real bizarre. It was a flashback to the 1970s, to the communist radio stations like in Cuba that had socialist formats. Uh, uh, The USSR, as it was called then. Um, There was a various amount, uh, uh, Chinese, Radio China, all had these very communistic uh, formats. And you always had a woman and a man broadcaster and they always had kind of a drone voice <laughs> and they'd play very patriotic music there would be a lot of propaganda not the propaganda hasn't dissipated because we put out as much as anybody else every country i guess every culture everybody had a radio station back in those days and they had their own propaganda and of course there was east and west but it was it was kind of bizarre especially the music they'd play and that's the and it was like a flashback of listening to 1970s uh, communistic shortwave radio, that's what you want to call it. And I remember that because, you know, I was in high school and so I listened to shortwave radio a lot back then. That little town I grew up in, Corinne, Utah, had this beautiful wide wide open spaces in the West Desert out there. Uh, And you really could pull in some great radio stations in those days. There wasn't any static at all or no power lines to speak of. And so I did listen to shortwave radio a lot. And uh, the Russian or the uh, communist radio stations were quite interesting because they were so different than the ones I was used to here in the West, especially in uh, local format. So, yeah, North, Col- North Korea was a flashback. And I, I wonder we have all this propaganda concerning North Korea. And I actually found... a. Um, a website where an Australian, I think he's an artist, decided to go to, to North Korea. He was invited. And to see what what really goes on there. You know, want to get through the propaganda. And so he was invited to go. He's doing research. I think he even has a PhD, maybe. And it's fascinating because he said, you know, um, there's a lot of things that aren't true we read in the media. A lot of propaganda. He said, North Korea is very isolated. You know, when you think about something... Like um, the Korean War, which was just a horrible war, especially for North Korea. Lots of people died. Uh, And it was just this, you know, the Korean War was something comparable to Afghanistan, uh, comparable to Ukraine, in terms of propaganda, in terms of casualties, in terms of not knowing what's really going on, because the propaganda is so thick, You never know who wins the war. And that was the case with the North Korean War. But it was very tragic in terms of North Korea. And they had this bitterness towards the West, and especially the United States, because that's never been resolved, the North Korean War, and all these extreme casualties. So North Korea has has wanted to introvert and protect itself from the West. And um, they're kind of the last surviving member of that old socialist communistic format but this uh person from australia was saying they're they're upgrading they have like uh they have computer bars you know go in and get on the internet i don't know how much that's censored uh and they have um fast food places they're starting to watch more sports uh and they're they're wanting to be involved slowly with the west but but taking their time and this is a you know every this is a culture trying to protect itself. It's been wounded, it's been as suspicious, as, as we are too. Uh, and it wants to, and so of course it's got to have a nu- nuclear device to be recognized as somebody that's a threat. You know, leave us alone. Uh, don't bother us. And if you do, you know, there's going to be problems. And so it's just been inter- inter- interesting these last several mornings to tune into that from 6 a.m. to. 7 p.m. Phoenix time, I can't know what that is, UTC time, 11 o'clock, something like that. And listen to the format, and listen to the music, which is, I think, out of everything, the music is totally bizarre. I'd say a mixture between Dixieland, jazz, and Soviet choirs of the 1970s with an undertone of Asian music. So, um...
0: This is Voice of Korea. This is Voice
2: of Korea.
0: This is Voice of Korea. This is Voice of Korea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I hope we can uh, negotiate and and find peaceful means and recognize China and Russia and North Korea and these places as legitimate, different ways of seeing the world. I don't know about about Russia. I think Putin's, I don't know, he used to be a pretty popular guy, but I think he's made some serious mistakes. But then again, it can be argued that he was pushed to do those through the pipeline and things and not... uh, Wanting to negotiate with the West on this pipeline, because you know, really, that's what was going on with the Ukrainian situation is is the pipeline. You know, the natural gas pipelines—they're huge. Some of the, maybe the biggest in the world. Where, uh they decided not to go through Ukraine. This is billions of dollars. And so, as a result, and U- Ukraine and USSR, Russia since the USSR dissolved, along with other Russian, past Russian nations haven't been getting along and even traditionally Ukraine which is a tribal setup much like Native American Americans here in the United States there's always been a problem and um, they're just natural enemies in some ways in other ways to get along so I don't know anyway that's that's enough on that so I was with my my friend from Colombia she's a school teacher here brilliant woman uh, she she teaches uh she's She's, uh, she speaks three languages, at least two, uh, Spanish, and, um, English, and uh, has several degrees, and she teaches these new students in the greater Phoenix area that come in from people that have come from other countries. And um, Interesting, because a lot of these are tribal people, so their, their uh, native tongue is not Spanish or English and so she's faced with the task of not only teaching English but teaching uh, Spanish in terms of grammar and understanding it so most of these young kids that are uh, high school age and junior high age um, that she teaches uh, come from actual native tribes in Central America, uh, Southern Mexico uh, some from South America and so they they speak marginal Spanish and then they have to learn English, and most of them have been through horrific events in their life in a short amount of time, migrating from from these countries into the United States. And there's a lot of prejudice and bias, and, and, and these people are going to be the new Americans. These are going to be the people that carry a new kind of America forward into the future. And they're excited about being here. They love the United States, but they're also taken back by the culture. and. and also, to some degree, the sort of prejudice that exists here. And, of course, it exists in their countries, too. Um, so, anyway, putting that aside, I didn't even know, this tells you how out of it I am, that pot is legal in Arizona. You know, I grew up in an atmosphere where um, you had to pay a lot of money to get a high grade of marijuana pot hash. Uh, and it was kind of underground, and that's why you did pay a lot, a lot of money, because it was illegal. And to get really high-grade hash, hash is refined pot. Um, you had to pay a lot of money, and you never knew what you're going to get. But we have these stores now, like grocery stores, that you can go into and <laughs> shop for pot. And I mean, this is high-grade stuff that comes from farms. And I think the this uh, little store we went to, Noble, that's called. Uh, and we just wanted to have fun and see what it was like. And they have people to take you through and explain everything. They're, they're, all of them are highly intelligent, uh, and they talk to you about well, these are the different and kinds of pot we sell, and, and they're in package labels. It's a very professional environment. We used to get this stuff in in a bag, even a paper sack, or, or you know, you had to hide it because it was illegal. And so it came to you, or and some uh, baby food jar bottle had been cleaned out. There's the there's the the pot in there, and if you're really lucky, and you had a lot of money, you could get what was called a bud, which is a a dense, uh, powerful marijuana, and you know the bud is what you want. But when I when I was looking through, I think they had 25 different kinds for different effects. Now, um, I I was blown away by the quality, and I learned you know I learned a little bit about this when I was in high school, out of high school. I never had that great of experience with pot. I don't, I really don't, I haven't, I rarely smoke it. I have friends that smoke it daily, but I I just leave it alone. I'm more into um, hallucinogenics, tribal hallucinogenics. And we're going to talk, I'm going to talk more about, you know, going in and just buying something like candy or groceries versus uh, tribal traditions concerning these plants. And I've talked about this before. Marijuana comes from Afghanistan and the Middle East. And there's thousands of years of tribal tradition that's connected to it. This is how you use it. Uh, These are the restrictions, uh, fasting, prayer. Um, All these things go along with the tribal use of this plant that now has just kind of taken over the entire world, especially now that it's commercialized and becoming legal everywhere. I think it's good. It's legal because when you make something illegal, uh, it becomes it becomes a huge thing. People want it. You know, you can't have those cookies. Those those cookies in the cookie jar. Leave that alone. Those are for somebody else. And of course, as a kid, you want to reach in there and get the forbidden cookies. You may when you make forbiddens, people are going to violate that. When you build fences, you're going to violate that, and it generates huge incomes of money. Any gangster, any mobster knows, you know, like during Prohibition, that you can make huge amounts of money if you can bring illegal things in. So when you make them illegal, it creates a huge black market. And that's the that's what you had with pot early on. And stuff like cocaine, and I'm not saying cocaine, we should legalize it. Maybe, I don't know. What, what would happen if you did? What if it was just low-grade stuff? Heroin, whatever, I, and people really found out, hey, this stuff's not that good for you. And being someone that's used cocaine and somebody that's used a plant that it comes from coca, there's a huge difference. Coca is a wonderful, healing, uh, rejuvenating plant that's been used thousands of years. We messed it up by making it into this highly addicting, sensational drug, co- cocaine. What if you could get cocaine for 10 cents? What if people started using that when it had medical warnings on it, like cigarettes do? For God's sakes, cigarettes and alcohol probably kill more people and destroy more lives than a lot of these really hard, illegal drugs. So maybe having warnings on there and people saying, Oh, you know, cocaine's not that good for you. Heroin's not that good for you. fentanyl or whatever, hey, it kills you. Maybe getting rid of the, the black market, is there's something in that. And, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it's just these extravagant fees for drugs and things that are illegal, that's what makes the trade. That's what makes these, and there's just huge wars that are taking place over this stuff. And Colombia, the country my my friend is from, is a good example of that. Where we've tried to go in and destroy this ancient indigenous plant, coca, which is just so healthy and so good for you. Been a lot of chemical analysis and nutritional analysis of coca and it's just amazing plant, and uh, there's all these tribal traditions connected to that plant, the way you use it, the way you chew it, uh, and and cocaine is this other thing. This I like to say it's like taking a cup of coffee and timesing it a thousand and injecting the caffeine into your veins directly. Same thing with uh, DMT. DMT taken out of taken out of um, these plants that uh, dimethyltryptamines uh, are these very powerful potential hallucinogenic substances that are naturally occurring in our body, but the plants have amazing powers that go beyond just the natural uh, the natural DMT that's inside of us, and uh, the ayahuasca, which is a combination of two different plants but in order to have the alkaloids have these plants have their effect you have to sort of uh, neutralize these digestive elements inside of your stomach and so you have to have a plant that'll neutralize that so you can digest the the DMT and have this experience this, this tremendous hallucinogenic experience but that's not all there is but there are these this effect now you can buy both legally and illegally, uh, the DMT that's isolated completely, so you can do it for, through an IV or smoking. I'm totally against that. You know, it's like pushing the accelerator down on your car to the, as fast as it'll go, and you have this tremendous high that lasts an hour, and it's just isolated from the whole thing with the plant. And this is what we're going to get into is. We have tribes and cultures that have used these plants for thousands of years. And they kind of know through trial and error one. And then through just wisdom on how to, how to use these plants. And, and also a spiritual base to them. And what you do when you're in this, this insane, beautiful, crazy, uh, interdimensional world. That happens with these things like ayahuasca, yo-hey, yo-hey. Yahe and Yopo and other things, they, ha- they have guides, they have maps. This is what you need to do. And this is why you need to do it. And these are the bad experiences you ha- can have. These are the things that you need to avoid. And when you use something like this for thousands of years, you kind of know just by trial and error, beyond the wisdom, beyond uh, the effect, beyond the um, saturation of a totally different form of reality, Just by trial and error alone, these tribes know what you should and shouldn't do. And that's what I'm going to get into. When you have a commercialization of things, when you can just buy it without any kind of understanding, other than you want the high, like a DMT high, you're kind of missing the boat, I think. And that's kind of what I I want to talk about a little bit. All right, let's go to a song. Mm. So, back to the pot store. Pretty impressive place. Very professional. It's really fun to go there. There's a lot of art and computer screens, and everything is packaged in a very modern and actually a very beautiful way. Mostly the people in there are very young. I'd say some are there with false IDs, because you got to have an ID when you go buy this stuff. And there are warning labels. Um, Most people there, I'd say from 18 to maybe 30, maybe a little older. And there are a few older people. I met some friends in there that I actually work with (laughs) that are more my age. So my beautiful friend from Colombia, she's a little younger than me, and she's had a vast array of experiences in her life. Uh, So we're... We're walking through here, you know. We're having fun. We want to see what it's like because I'd never been in. I didn't even know pot was <laughs> was illegal in Arizona until some people started informing me. Informing me, hey, you can go to a store and buy this stuff, like like a like a, um, salmon or like a um, rice or like like a um, candy bar. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, and, and younger people are looking at us like, hey, who's these guys, you know, what's going on here, is, my, is, the mom, is people the age of my mom and dad are in here shopping for stuff. And so, uh, and we had a, a, a this gentleman take us through, he was like 28, he'd been to Tibet, lived in Tibet for a long time, so he gave us the whole Tibetan slant on how you smoke pot, you know. Pot really isn't... Uh, something I do a lot. I have allergies to it. I used to do it in high school and out of high school a bit. And um, I had a, a good friend, a girlfriend. We used to do it quite a bit. And I just didn't really have that many good experiences with it. In addition to things like hallucinogenic psilocybin mushrooms, we do those. Um, so I, I just really never had that great of experience with, with pot. I just, my body doesn't do well. And so I occasionally use it, but not too much. And I haven't used it hardly at all since I started doing hallucinogenics. Uh, especially uh, tribal stuff. And, and with the spirituality that's involved when you do that. Because I'm around tribes a lot, and I pick up on, on ceremonies and how to, how to do things in a very methodical uh, way with stipulations. So I kind of know that's, that's, I just don't do hallucinogenics. I just don't set under the stars and do them or in a room with a bunch of people. And I'm not a member of any of the ayahuasca churches. So I, we, we buy a, a medium high grade pot. I haven't ever done it this way. I've always done it the illegal way. If, if, If if I've even done it for a long time, and it was amazing. This is the kind of stuff that used to cost a lot of money. I think it cost fifty bucks. And then here's the shocking thing: it was a lot. And a lot of these young kids in the store buying this stuff are are buying you know twice and three times as much. And then we're overhearing conversations. They're going to smoke what you know in parentheses a bowl which. This huge amount of pot that used to last me, like, a month in one night. <laughs> I, I heard this in two or three conversations. Um, yeah, that's that's one night's worth of pot. And, and like, and, and I'm going to go into this a little bit. So so when I and my Colombian friend got home, and you know, we're going to use this stuff, we... we we just didn't really use very much. In fact, very little of it. We were pretty cautious, I guess you would say. Kind of, she got, she's not really used to this stuff. Uh, and she got a lot, you know, in higher than I did. And I, of course, I'm used to hallucinogenic, uh, and in parentheses, medications, uh, plants. Uh, and so, I'm used to pretty powerful, uh, conscious rocking, on um, constituents, plants. And so the the uh the pot didn't have much of an effect on me. It. it was nice. Mellow and, and I did notice it's kinda targeted. The old the old stuff you never knew what you were gonna get. And this stuff is uh you know it's 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 farmed. It's it's like it's it's they've they've come a long ways and they can really target this towards the sensations and, you know, experiences you're gonna have. A lot of people now are taking there's the THC gummy bears and then there's a C oh let's see here. C B D gummies. So this has a an element that's in, you know, in the marijuana that can help you sleep better. I think the THC you get the you get the high, you get the sort of um sensation you get when you smoke pot. The, CB, uh, the, the CBD, I keep wanting to say it, <laughs> CBC, which is a, a shortwave station. Uh, yeah, so there, there's... The the results are saying the CBD really does work for people. It helps them go to sleep and calm their nerves, and it seems to have a really good effect. Uh, and then the THC, uh, It again, one of the problems with pot and extensive use to it, is what they're saying, anyway, is it it affects your deep REM, your dream sleep. In fact, to the point that you're just, it's almost totally absent in some people. Not everyone, some people still dream. So when you stop using pot, if you're, you know, like Joe Rogan, he did a whole three-hour show on this, where he had a dream scientist come and talked to his audience about how the research is showing that pot really does affect your sleep, uh, long-term use it makes you paranoid it makes you uh, suspicious anyway that's you know all the steps in parentheses because you know targeted results and research depending on who's paying the money can be propaganda I mean there's legitimate results but it's looking like on both sides of the fence that a uh, long-term pot the THC element really messes up your sleep and uh, it can cause problems, and especially a lot of users, long-term users, talk about this paranoia that you start to get. This kind of suspicious attitude you have towards things. It's looking like it, it slants that. Anyway, I don't know. I don't use pot a lot, and if you do, you probably have your own sort of uh, experience. And I, and I point this out. I have a really close friend. Uh, she's a, a, an astrophysics major. She's, just, she's getting her... PhD now in astronomy, pot is a miracle for her because she has these uh, um, hallucinogenic episodes, uncontrollable, uh, where she sees things, and has done since she's a kid, and she can't. So she has to be on serious medications, or had to be. Once she started using uh, pot, they went away. Excuse me. They, which is interesting. You think they would enhance that more, but they actually allowed her. The peace of mind because she's she's brilliant. She's a mathematician, and she's a and when when she has her mind intact, she can do an amazing things with it. And so, pot was a miracle. So she did. She got off all these uh, different medications that she was on to uh, control these um, these hallucinogenic or um, vision like experiences that she would have that would just overwhelm her. So yeah, I'm sure there's all kinds of Sides to this, and it's unfair just to take one side. But I think the point here uh, is there's thousands of years of cultural experience. It's assigned to these, even to to marijuana in the Middle East, on how you use these and what it can do if you use too much of it, or if you don't fast, or if you don't meditate, or if you don't, in, or what happens when you're in that. Um, that realm of experience, which is often radically different, especially with powerful hallucinogenics like, like acid or LSD, which is a synthetic. Uh, and then these, these uh, peyote, um, which has uh, in, in the Native American church, and then if you get down into Mexico with the Huichol, the Cora, uh, these different groups, it's used peyote for thousands of years. Um, they have a real set format and how you do it, how you pick it, the times of year that, that you do pick it, how you um, how you prepare it, how the people who are taking it prepare it. You have a shaman or, or a brew host or, or whatever the tribal name might be that's a very uh, schooled person, often 30, 40 years of experience sitting in front of you that kind of knows what, what needs to be done. And uh, In the cases of ayahuasca, when you get... Uh, Yahweh, when, when you go to these places, uh, and there are some rip-offs, and there are, you know, like anything else, but when you get in a legitimate environment with a tribal person, with a shaman, and I'm using that word shaman, it's a Western word, a medicine person, which is probably better, that's going to help set this up so you have this, this experience that will be physically and mentally good for you. And cleanse you, and help you through the processes of your life, and and to move through these very bizarre and strange corridors of reality, of mo- of a multiplicity of reality. When you have a trained person there, and it has thousands of years of tradition there, they know what to do. And um, it's I, I think, and that's what that's where I'm going here with this, uh, is you're you only live so many years in your life, and and the school of hard knocks is up against you if you don't know what you're doing. I mean, it might take you 20 years, 10 years, I don't know, five years to, to, to figure out what these plants do. So my thing is, is why not add that to uh, to deeper cultural experiences? And in the Western society, we just do stuff and we don't think about it. You know, you just drink this drink or take this And and later you find out, oh, this is, you know, cigarettes. Hey, cigarettes is good for you. Tobacco's, you can smoke all you want. You know these old ads in the 1950s. Let's play one.
2: (laughs) C-A-M-E-L. Yes. How mild, how
1: mild. Take the camel thirty-day test, and you'll see. So mild, so mild, so mild that you're bound to agree that
2: camel suit
1: you to a t, to a t. Camel tea. Yeah. So, so, um, and then with research and people get cancer and they're getting sick. You know that it's it's dangerous, and so you put a warning label on it. And yet there's some people that smoke tobacco that don't get cancer. I, I, my, my former father-in-law lived to be 95 years old. He smoked a pack a day. Since he'd been 15 years old, he had no blemishes on his lungs whatsoever. Genetic abnormality, I don't know. Now with indigenous people, tobacco is approached in a totally different way. With most tribes, the most sacred plant you're going to use is tobacco. And it has a lot of strict rules that go along with it, especially here in the Southwest. Fasting, praying, you're only doing it certain times a year. You're not smoking continuously all day long, all year long. You're giving your lungs a rest. Uh, You're fasting, you're praying, and and then you're using a tobacco that hasn't been altered genetically by corporations to make it stronger, to make the nicotine stronger, to make it have a more damaging effect. And a lot of these tribes talk about that that tobacco, like, you know, it's a solanaceous plant. These plants are very powerful and often deadly poison. Tomatoes and potatoes, if we follow them genetically at one time, were deadly poison. And through these brilliant horticulturists that lived in the Amazon and in the Cusco area where potatoes was domesticated so you could eat them, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to make tomatoes and you how to make potatoes untoxic. It took a while. So, these, these great farmers, these, and, and we're, we're looking at now that you have the Neolithic age, the age of, you know, in the Middle East where wheat and domesticated foods, foods rose up for, for humanity. So, you weren't moving around tribally, you weren't hunting and depending on meat and the deer you kill or the wild animal you kill, but you can farm and domestication of foods. But it's looking like now the Amazon had all these elements, maybe only two or three thousand years less than in the Fertile Crescent in the Neolithic Age. There's something fantastic going on in South America, especially in the Amazon Basin. Some of our most valued and most important foods come from the Amazon. And this is why I think eventually these South American countries are going to realize that, hey, we have the heart of the food for the world and this may become a commodity, and so the, these, um, these superfoods, you know, you only need to take you could take a sweet potato with you, and I do this when I run, when I do solos I can live, I can just eat a sweet potato, and live on that all day, and feel really well, as long as I have water, and even some sweet potatoes have a lot of water, so you don't need it that food was developed for long-term distance, mileage, where you could go from a from area to area in the Amazon. And you could eat this and travel, and that's all you needed. So over time, this is horticulturist in the Amazon basin, these indigenous people. And I think the world's greatest horticulturists were in the Amazon. There's just so many superfoods that come out of this place. There's no, no other comparable place in the world. These different South American countries that border the Amazon. And now we know there's these tremendous civilizations in the Amazon along these rivers that, that existed for a long, long time. We're just, with satellites, with drones, with X-ray technology, we're starting to see, oh my God, what was going on in the Amazon basin? And so it's, it's, it's kind of a new thing with archaeology, with understanding the past history there, because so much was wiped out with the Spanish with influenza, with smallpox. So much of this history, when elders die, the history's erased. And so we're sort of like just finding out what was there. What happens when you go into these realms of alternate realities in the hallucinogenic experience? Good question. And I think it varies with individuals, but we know from... uh, from the anthropology and we know from studying these different tribes in the Amazon basin we kinda have an idea how it works that way uh, and, and we, we know more about the plants now Think, giving credit to, great ethnobot- to the eth- ethnobotanists like Richard Evan Schultes, like Wade Davis, like Tim Plowman these people that really dove into the effects of these plants, what they do to your mind and what they do to your body and what how they affect people culturally and you can read that. There's just thousands and thousands of pages, books and books on on, on, on the scientific end of it, as well as the cultural uh, aspects. And you can look into that and see what's what's going on. And my my suggestion to friends, and I'm, I'm going to talk about my own experience, which I have in the past. I'm going to try to talk about it. What happens when you when you actually use these plants and in the right way when it's not just experimental and when somebody says hey come to our session we're going to do ayahuasca or you have a sort of discipline that goes along with the plant and and you have a tribal connection that allows you to go culturally deep into these sort of um, realms and and have navigation and have somebody watching over you because they are intense just absolutely intense. And if you listen to uh, people like, um, if you listen to people like Terrence McKenna, who's less about tribal things and more about exploring uh, and navigating through your own experiences. Uh, And interesting enough, uh, Terrence's former wife that he was married to for a long time, you know, he's passed away and he's no longer alive she was more about the tribal experience she was more about the the cultural the deep cultural effects of these hallucinogenic plants and how to use them so there was a bit of contrast between her and and terrence and disagreements i think they may even have led to the end of their marriage where she felt that he was kind of like jumping into this stuff in an insane way and expected everyone else to 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 navigate like and he is an incredibly brilliant person him and his brother dennis uh, do. I think Dennis has all kinds of podcasts now about hallucinogenic plants, and you have these other uh, scientists that jump in with him and people that aren't scientists, and they talk about, uh, you know, hallucinogenics. We're having this new revival, this new age where we know a lot more about this stuff scientifically and and, and experience-wise, but often throwing away the tribal experience, the, the deep cultural knowledge of these plants. These are the people that bring us the, these these tremendous uh, plants that can heal us and bring us balance and make us feel better. It comes from them. So, but we're using science now in a way we can look at how, why the plants do these things. Or you can isolate the active element or the alkaloid and you can, and you can chemically uh, produce it in a way that you don't have to use the plant. You don't have to use the, the, the plant itself. And this is where I'm in strong disagreement sometimes. You can't, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I try not to take the complete opposite side of everything in the extreme. I mean, there's there's reasons for everything. There's balance, there's wisdom in the middle of the extremes, in the middle of the, you know, the polarities of like, um, let's use all artificial, chemi- chemically generated hallucinogenics uh, and let's use them in the scientific clinical situation to like hey dude let's just do as much of this stuff as we can and see where it's gonna take us you know let's really get high dude let's freak out and go to the planet neptune <laughs> something like that and i think mckenna kind of like that's his thing like let's let's go as far as you can take 23 grams of psilocybin mushrooms or more and see where you go. And this is the experience I had. And this is what can happen to you. And he, he approaches this intellectually. But often he he pushes aside uh, the cultural element. The indigenous element. And he, and he synthesizes it with Western intellectual science a lot of times. And just this complete crazy method of exploring uh, these realms without... A lot of times the, those experiences so that's what that's the problem I have with McKenna is um, and I think there's a lot of good stuff there I've listened to and read a lot of stuff by him and I, I like his approach sometimes and other times I don't like it some people say he finally got his ultimate trip when he died <laughs> um, okay so I'm gonna try once again to explain this this is such a nonverbal experience the hallucinogenic episode and the one I'm going to go over with, go over, or try to go over, and now I do hallucinogenics often, in a very controlled format, and in a basic tribal format that I've learned. So I don't just do them for the hell of it. I have very set formats. I meditate. Um, I set up uh, an environment that's I would call spiritual. Uh, and connected to tribal uses of plants. So they have a lot of restrictions. And so I don't just do this stuff for the hell of it. I have a very set environment I want, I want to work through. And it's mostly based on tribal experience. So um, I'm going to try it. So mostly what I use is a, a YAHE and YOPO mix. So I don't drink the YAHE often i have i i actually what i do is i blow i, I have an apparatus that's uh, i got from the amazon and enables me to like blow the snuff up into my into my nasal cavities this is so you can t- you can take in the the power of the uh, of the hallucinogenic plant into your in your body it has to go, it has to go through the membranes and so to bypass your stomach corridors, so, so you have to have this other cons, cons, you have to have this other plant that cancels the uh, the digestive elements in your stomach, so you can uh, you can synthesize the DMT. So if you can do it other ways to bypass the stomach corridor, then you can get you can get the effect of the DMT. And so that's what I do is I. And I'm, listen, I'm not going to suggest this to any of you out there okay I want to, the thing I'm, reason I'm bringing this up is I'm, is I want you I want to try and lay out this this experience radically I hope and let you know what that's like and also you know just say, hey this is not something you should just do for the hell of it. You should do a lot of research, you should do a lot of, a lot of asking and you should find someone to help you through this that knows what they're doing. And, I, and, and I've, I've went through both kinds, where you just do it for the hell of it, where you get high, or where you just do it accidentally. And now I, I've talked about that with Doctura, where actually someone put powdered Doctura into my drink at a bar. I'll, I'll never know who did it, other than I was in lockdown, behavioral health in a hospital for three weeks, trying to get my mind back. And then this experience with Doctura is just so radical. It's one of the most powerful chaotic hallucinogenic plants in the world and i would not suggest that you use that plant for most people it just levels them if not makes them completely lose their mind and they're never the same again so yeah anyway and i i do this for reasons because it's like like when i run or when i it's for health reasons it's for balance reasons it's for reasons to expand my horizons of consciousness to, to, to move outside the corridors of, of my cultural limitations. We all have those, depending on the cultural, depending on the religion, depending on where you're working, depending on how you've grown up. We have these. And often, for, for wisdom's sake, often because these things can hurt you, but sometimes you get a very narrow point of view. You see the world in a very narrow way. And for me personally, I, I want to... I want to expand my horizons. And I think that's part of my experience of being alive. Do I suggest that to everybody? No, I do not. I think there's a handful of people that can do that. And so you have to be really careful. And I've suggested too, fasting, uh, religious experiences are on the same level as as, as actually taking the hallucinogenic substance, the plants in particular, in a particular way. So it can happen, or in meditation. I've talked about. I was involved in Rinzai Zen for many years. You can do it the another way. You can go into these alternate realities, or these larger, sorry, these larger, broader realities that that lie outside of the realms of our restrictions, outside of the realms of our laws, outside of the outside of the cultural elements that you're so used to. That there's a larger, expand, expansive experience out there. I mean, let, let me go over this one more time. So as a medic. Uh, Ten years in the Army as a medic uh, and being in many different types of emergency situations, some that were life and death, as working in an emergency room in a hospital, on and off in different hospital rooms. Uh, six years there uh, and, and seeing death and seeing allergic reactions and seeing different types of people with different experiences. I think what's remarkable the one of the things that seems to to be a big cause of death is bees. These nice fuzzy little bees that we all think are so friendly are not so friendly to some people. And that's what I want to bring up here is what may work for a lot of people may not work for you. It may kill you. You know, a little bit of a uh, everybody can, you know, in in the room can have shelled peanuts can eat a whole you know, bowl full of them and be okay. And then you might just taste it and have an allergic reaction and die. Um, and, and allergic uh, allergies are, 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 can be really dangerous things. So that's the problem with uh, anaphylactic shock kills a lot of people and it's scary stuff. So things like epinephrine and antropine may be the only way you can save a person if they have uh, anaplectic shock because your throat swells shut and you can't breathe and unless you can do a tracheotomy or you can punch a hole in someone's throat which I wouldn't suggest doing that's the only way you can save that person's life if they're having anaphylactic shock and they have to be in an emergency uh, environment with doctors and people that can address that and and this you know it all of us have differences in our physical makeup in our genetic makeup we, we respond to foods uh, we, allergies, we respond to environments with different kinds of uh, pollution in the air. Uh, there's no set way for everyone to experience the same thing. Even COVID is experienced in different ways with different people. You know, this sickness that killed so so many of us. Uh, it's, it just depends. So when you, you know, when you sit in a room and say, hey, you know, let's, you know, like we used to do in high school, everybody get in the car and let's start smoking pot. I remember, you know, and that's what we did. And this one kid just got really sick. He started vomiting and throwing up. And, you know, we're laughing. Hey, you're such a wimp, you know. We're getting really high. What's up with you, you know? So that's before I had any kind of medical training. That person was having, and we're lucky, it was a light allergic reaction. But at least he stopped using the pot. And so, you know, he didn't get high like the rest of us. But he didn't die either. And when you have a severe allergic reaction, you can die. So this bullshit where, you know, it's, it's good for everybody. And then you're passing the dope around and, and, uh, hallucinogenic and Hey, you know, acid alone LSD, which in, in effect is not harmful. There's a lot of propaganda. It usually doesn't kill anybody, but you might be one of those people it can kill or making you so crazy that you jump out a window or you don't know what's real and what isn't real. And, and so it, the trip, the experience can vary with people. And these shamans know this. And often what they do is they, is, is they pray and fast. They ask you questions. Now, in, in Lima, when I was there, you can you, you actually visit a doctor before you ever engage in the ayahuasca experience. Some people even go to a doctor, a psychologist, and then they get a shaman and have the ayahuasca experience. So you, you, you've got to pass... You have to pass the psychology, you have to pass the help thing, and then you're, you might be able to do the ayahuasca. So it, it's looking into uh, medical history, it's looking into psychological history, it's looking into your genetic and physical makeup, and that's something that's really important. So that I have a problem when you just start passing out the, the psilocybin mushrooms, when you start passing out the, the peyote, when you start passing out this stuff and where you go to the noble store and buy all this pot, you don't get any medical warnings. I mean, they're on the label, but there's no one telling you, hey, you could have this, all this kind of stuff could happen to you. And I have seen people freak out on pot. I mean, I, I kind of have problems with it, but I don't freak out. But I've seen people, well, that's not true. I think early on I did have some freak out situation. And when you combine it with other drugs, then you, it's, it it can be volatile. So, having said all that, don't be a dumbass. Find out where, where what what can happen to you. Find out about your family history. Don't just sit with the boys and and smoke. Maybe you're probably going to be okay. You know, toke on the, you know, get the pipe and hey, pass the pipe. Let's see what happens. And a lot of young kids have these really radical experiences. Also, what we're finding out is pot is extremely addicting. Uh, it's it's a high that you really you really ha- you, it really starts to be an addiction and uh, that there's we, and we can go into that in other places. so and that's the problem with alcohol that's a problem with cigarettes is and tribes know about this stuff you know in terms of, of plant use traditionally how you should use it especially tobacco you go to a place like Hopi or Zuni in their religious ceremonies tobacco is used in a very strict and certain way at certain times of years for certain things. You don't smoke it all the time because these tribes talk about it activates the death polarity, the death element. When you inhale the smoke in your lungs and you do it a lot it's probably going to kill you you're going to get cancer. These tribes know this and so there's a certain way you go about doing that. It's the same thing with these hallucinogenic plants. So. I want to give warning here. Don't just jump into this stuff. And that was the problem when I went to this store, you know, with, with, with my friend from Columbia. Was there's all these people in there buying stuff to get a high and not looking at all the other things that might be connected to that high that could be potentially harmful to you. Or it could be potentially enlightening. Or it could potentially change your life or you could have sex with somebody and get pregnant cuz you're so high you don't know what the hell you're doing. You can't you can't really I'm not saying that's good or bad. <laughs> cuz when you're in high school, hey, every every guy wants to have sex with his most every you know, it, it's it's a big deal. Hey, let's get him higher, get this person drunk and I can have sex with them. And guess what? She calls you up and she's pregnant. And you're 18 years old and suddenly you got you have a family. I don't know. That, that's going extreme. But these these things have potentials to change your life and make you a healthier and a more expansive person inside your heart and your body. They can be really good for you. But you have to look at the other things, too. And that's the problem I have when I go to a store. It's like a grocery store for pot. No one's really telling you. you know, individually how this can affect you, or having a questionnaire and asking people, at least that, I didn't I didn't get asked any questions about my health. I didn't get asked, do I have any fears? I didn't get asked, like, so, it, and, you know, it was informative. There was different types of pot that did different things, and what, what do you want versus what don't you want. And there was a person that went through all that with you. But I didn't hear anything about tribal traditions or fasting or certain types of food that you eat. It's just go in and buy that stuff and then go back out hey and let's get high so we're coming upon the hour time frame let's go to a song and then i'm going to try to potentially try and explain one of my experiences on um, what what it's an initial experience and um, i didn't know exactly what i was encountering but i had taken steps uh cautionary steps that allowed me to get through this really jolting otherworldly experience that I just had never had in my life before and I just didn't know what to do with it but I had prepared myself uh, in a way fasting and and I I pray and I meditate but knowing what not taking too much just taking enough and I'm glad I didn't take too much or I I think it potentially could have been a, a dangerous situation okay
0: You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. You're listening to Late Nights, on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley.
1: All right, so without going through all the particulars, um, I set up, uh, I, now I've done this before, I'd had tribal experience, so I'm doing this on my own. This is a solo, but not without a lot of experience beforehand. A lot of research, over a year of reading and research and talking to other people that had had this experience. and then being in tribal formats, And knowing kind of what I needed to do. So I would never suggest to do this stuff solo. You should always have someone there to to help you and watch over you. And watch over you is important. Uh, But having said that and then having had this previous experience, I kind of knew what I needed to do. So I was prepared. So I'm doing this stuff solo. But not really knowing what I'm getting into. I mean completely, because each time you do this, you have different experiences, uh, and depending on the, how much you do, and for how long you do it, and your diet, and your mental and physical preparations, which I think are all extremely important, um, the, the, the experience can be different each time. And this experience, uh, and I didn't do a high dose, so I prepared a, a, a snuff uh, with different constituents in it, uh, mainly... Uh, Anodanthra peregrina, which is uh, Yopo, which has been used five, six thousand years. The archaeology record shows this has been used heavily by tribes in Peru uh, and uh, the Caribbean islands. Uh, and some of these early explorers that were Spanish write about it, the, the Yopo experience. Yopo is on the same line as ayahuasca, depending on how much you do, <clears throat> but there's, and, and what you mix it with, lime other things that are put in there in addition to uh, this the seed that uh, you take it from the small seed that's in a pod um, and then you prepare the snuff and, there's, and the, the preparation is everything that's often what I say do you know who has handled that pot do you know where it's been do you know who's handled the substance they're using do you know if there's something else in there like a like a chemical add-on like is there fentanyl somebody put in there uh, is there something that's gonna harm you that's in there? You and that's my thing, you need to know what's in there. Or of who's whoever's preparing it, you need to be able to trust them. Cause folks, there's things out there you can just add in there, you know, somebody might be trying to get their kicks or somebody might be trying to hurt you. And so my my thing is like, do you know where that comes from? And that's one of the things that I and my friend Sophia, my friend from Columbia, we, we we took the proper steps on on preparing even this pot that we have, even though we know it comes legitimately, comes from a good source because it's commercial, supposedly, we still went through this whole ritual of preparing the, the experience for ourselves. And, and there's this whole thing you go through, uh, praying and, and setting up parameters so you'll be safe. And so in, in engaging in, yes, a conversation with the conscious entities that live in the plant. And so your experience is okay because if you're leaving yourself open to other things.
0: You're listening to Late Nights on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley. You're listening to Late Nights on In Between Stations Radio, broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, with host David Hartley.
1: So when you're in that this alternate state of mind, and you're not used to it, and you don't understand what's going on, tribal experience says you're leaving yourself open to other entities, to other experiences that are beyond your understanding and this is why you have to have protection this is why you have to understand what's there because there is the bad trip there is the experience that can hurt you and there are beings and this is what i'm going to talk about there are legitimate physical this isn't like mental physical beings in these alternate realities and if you do this stuff if you do hallucinogenics especially these Amazonian plant medications there's no doubt about that and I often say what I often say is that reality in the, in the hallucinogenic world and the medicine plant world is more real than this one and it can hurt you it can damage you on the other hand it can be something that changes your entire life and leads you to do better lead you to overcome alcohol, lead you to overcome these difficult substances you thought you could never get past, can help help heal um, horrible experiences you've had, post-traumatic stress disorder, or like me, help you with the war you was in. So there are these potentialities, but it depends on the direction taken and your preparation involved, and there's always, always the chaotic element that's introduced, even with experienced users, that happens. So there are these, there are these things, these steps you need to take when something is culture when the knowledge is culturally deep, that's already been worked out a thousand years ago, five hundred years ago. So that's why I say it's important to have this knowledge when you when you get involved with the hallucinogenic factors. And I I, I don't hear that sometimes in the Terrence McKenna dialogues and it bothers me because I have I have had and I've had friends have horribly bad trips that they, they never recover from and so to suggest somebody to do 23 grams of mushrooms and take it to the max and go out there as far as you can go that's a problem and that's where is wrong even his brother's wrong Uh, You just, you have to be careful. You have to look at your personal situation. And um, and that's where, you know, I think the tribal knowledge comes into play. It's not always safe. You still got to look at your, you know, your culture. You still got to look at who you are, what you believe, how you feel about being in that situation. So the tribal element's not always going to be, save you. That was a problem with Carlos Casanada stuff. He's lifting a lot of the stuff from previous research and previous, yeah, it's a legitimate experience to some degree, but Don Juan, as far as we know, wasn't a legitimately real person. And the way you prepare Docteur in there is just, I'm sorry, my experiences with Docteur were not enlightening. They were extremely harmful and extremely damaging. Docteur is not something excuses to fuck with. Maybe some people can get through the experience and be okay, but most people will not. You got to know how to use that 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 solanaceous plant, maybe the most powerful hallucinogenic plant in the world. You got to know what to use it with. What other plants to use it with. How to prepare it. And he does go through that in his books, but it's not it's not legitimate. And in Carlos Casanata himself only I think the most the strongest thing he did was tea. <laughs> you know, he didn't we know now he didn't really experience the hallucinogenic episodes himself. He's lifting that stuff, and then he's putting it in these books. And you go into these magic realms, and you read, and you think everything's going to be great, and then you have this horrible experience. Okay, I went too far on this, on, on warnings. Right? <laughs> I got to explain my own experience, or at least one of them. I, and I've had many. I, I typically take notes uh, on on what I need to use, how I prepare it. And my thing was, I went little by little, especially with this plant, so because I have allergies. I have allergic reactions to things, so I have to be really careful. So I tried little doses of this plant after doing an immense amount of research and talking to people that had used the plant, YOPO, and Adanthra which is available on the internet, but the knowledge that goes along with it and how to use it isn't available. And you go to these these chat rooms, which... I think largely are bullshit cuz you get you know you get the Terence McKenna thing hey take it all away this is what happened to me do, you know do 10 of these seeds mix it with baking soda do that and and without the warnings in that I would say one out of a 500 of those advice in those chat rooms you know the the the, the trip rooms the acid room <laughs> The blow your mind room the drug user room um those are those are personal experiences by other people that don't know a damn thing about you for the most part they're dangerous they're absolutely dangerous in my mind so be careful yeah go through them they're they're interesting but combine that with the rest of your research with the rest of the with cultural knowledge read about it and see if it's legitimately something's for you. And then here's the thing, too. I, I know I thought I was going to get away from this. Is I think personally, the consciousness of those plants that you're going to use has to make contact with you. The entity that lives in those plants, and I know without a doubt, entities' consciousness does live in there. Of profound implications beyond anything you could possibly. Understand until you do it. And users out there, people that have had these experiences, know what I'm talking about. The beings that you encounter, the consciousness, the alternate realities you encounter, are fantastic. They're beyond explanation, and that's the problem here. When I'm, when I'm going to try to explain one of my experiences, is uh, it's going to be difficult. But I just want to sort of try to show you how radical this can be. So, this is a, a early on beginning experiment uh, experiment with Anadanthra peregrina, Yopo, mixed with one of the constituents that's used in ayahuasca, the cappy. And this can intensify the experience, which I didn't really fully understand. I knew it would because I'd read about it, but I didn't realize how potentially powerful it could be. Uh, and so, it's still experimental. So later on, I got a two-way pipe. You can blow in one end and put the other end up your nose. Or if you have a friend, you have a longer extended pipe and they do it for you. But this is a self-applicating device. that has been used for, I don't know, four or five thousand years. So you can get a legitimate one that's made in the Amazon and those are nice. But before that, I'm just using a straw. When I make the powder, you know, I went through the whole preparation process. I'm not going to go through it here because I'm not going to give you the way to do it. You find out yourself in a legitimate way. Don't do it accidental. So I'm still experimenting with what I can do personally with this stuff. And so I do I do, a, I do a preparation that takes time. There's there's prayers, uh, tribal prayers. I'm, I guess if you're Christian, you could do those kind of prayers, but I have a different way of doing it. I fast. I prepare the substance in a very delicate and profound way. And I, I, I address it as a living being. It's a consciousness. So there's all these stipulations and these things I need to do to be respectful when I prepare it, and carefully, and there's an environment I need to prepare it in. So having done all that, I prepared the substance, which is a lot. It's kind of a yellowish powder. And I activate the alkaloids with other substances, and I, I have a little drinking straw, and I cut it off, and I put the stuff on a tray, and I insulfate, I blow it up, uh, up in my nose, sniff it, as up into my nose. Similar to cocaine, and I've talked about I have done cocaine, unfortunately. Um, so, and I wouldn't suggest it. It's very addictive. It's kind of a, an amazing high, but it's 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 addictive and it's extremely harmful. I wouldn't suggest it, but this is similar. You lay out, you, I have a little pile, and I stick the straw in it, and I, I sulfate, did I say that right, yeah, up into my nasal cavity. And for me, it, and for a lot of people, it's like a shotgun blast. It's that powerful. And when you, and, and I gauge the experience now by how painful it's gonna be when you when you blow it up into your nose if it's extremely painful get ready at least for me for a really powerful event to happen but not at once not all at once it takes 20 minutes so i did this so i sniffed it up snuffed it up into the under my nasal cavities one side and it was just almost more than i could bear cuz it just it's it's like some kind of ungodly acid and it has a it has a almost like a knockout blow to it. So I get that experience. And and then it kind of like diminishes a little bit. It takes a while to recover from it. And then my nose starts to run profusely, which is the effect of uh, anodanthopetogrina when it's mixed right and you use it. And it runs, uh, excuse me, which runs profusely, both nostrils, because I'm only building up one. And it dissipates. And, you know, I'm feeling, and the, one of the things that happens is you start to feel you can feel extreme nausea. And this is the effect of, of a lot of these plants, especially, especially ayahuasca after you drink it. You can have profound nausea. I mean, just absolutely a butt kicker in a way like you may have never had before. So with with this particular experience, I, I got extreme nausea and, and I knew I, I'm going to throw up. And that's what this plant brings on. It's, it's in, in, in tribal formats, this is considered cleansing process. Now, some people in some formats are not supposed to vomit or throw up. I, I don't know. It just depends on the system you're in. But for me, it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. So I go in and have this you know, violent reaction to the plant. And I throw up profusely in my bathroom. <laughs> and I come out. And I'm like, and it clears, and I'm still, my, no, actually, my nasal is still burning. And I just, and I sit down on my couch, you know, I, I have the lights out, and I have, uh, I, I've saged my room, I've cleansed my room, uh, there's other things in my room to cleanse the process. I'm fasting, uh, I'm in a meditative state, um, I'm opening my mind to this experience and getting, you know, getting ready for it. But this is going to be a little more profound than I... Than I had figured, and here's the problem, and I've mentioned this before. Once you're in this corridor, once you ingested the plant medication, or once it's been blown up your nose, there's no going back. And I think when you have a really powerful experience with the plants initially, you get really scared, and 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 you want you you want to stop. You you know you know the car's going to crash and go off the edge of the cliff, so you want to get out before it does that. Unfortunately, you're going to have to go over the cliff. You can't get out of the car. You can't get out of the experience. It's it's going to happen, and it's involuntarily. It's just going to take you, and, and and you're you're kind of you're in trouble. Yeah, you, there's no going back. And and so, so um, I'm thinking that because I can feel something coming up, like a vibration. I've I've talked about this before, through the floor. And everybody has different experiences with stuff. I and mean, there's a sameness to it, but there's also different experiences depending physically how you're put together and genetically. But I can feel this rumbling, and it's, it's it's not audible. I can feel it coming up through my body and the floor, and it's not, and it's it, it's frightening. It's just like all-consuming, and it's coming up little by little. And there's this other part of me, the normal part, you know, the every day go to work nine to five part. That's sort of being pushed out of my body and this other thing is overtaking me. Now sometimes it may take 20 or 30 minutes before anything happens. This is what you know, every stoner knows um, when you you initially get involved with something like pot, you smoke more and more, or mushrooms, because mushroom has sometimes a 30-40 minute delay before it works so you keep taking more and more because hey dude nothing's happening maybe I'll take some more of this stuff wow still nothings and you take more and then then it hits you you forget the delayed reaction that happens and then you just get you know it just this experience you wasn't <laughs> prepared for because you took too much so I'm not taking too much and that's a good thing but it's also something I didn't expect because power of combining different plants and not understanding what that does is I'm about to learn about you know learn that so I'm combining two three four plants here amazonian plants uh, all are hallucinogenic and and this is pretty profound stuff so it didn't there wasn't much of a delay (laughs) it just overwhelms washes over my body pulls me down the gravity into this corridor, this, this alternate reality. And it's like being in a tunnel. You kind of see the light dissipate of the nine-to-five reality and it gets further and further away and, and there's no grounding. And I've experienced this in Zen, in Rinzai Zen. When you get in the deep meditational or Zen state, there is a similar event where you start to lose your ego and you experience this other emptiness, as it's called. It's not empty it's just beyond what you can explain or understand it overtakes you and suddenly the you the familiarity of the world is gone and you're into this place that's always been there you just wasn't aware of it and it can be very powerful and very frightening and so I often compare it to the death experience to uh, a shock experience if you're in in a car crash or if you're really ill, I, I compare it to that. So, one of the things, I've I, I mentioned this experience in other uh, broadcasts, but I want to go over it again. One of the things that happens is it, it just, you have this feeling, everything is unusual. Huxley talks about this in the, Through the Doors of Perception. And he talks about, um, so the mescaline derivative taken from uh, um, peyote, uh, you can actually inject this. You can isolate that and inject it and get this experience. And I talked about this, which I don't totally agree with because I think you need to take the entire plant because it is a consciousness. It is set up the way it's set up for a specific reason. But So Huxley isolates the the experience with mescaline but what what he says uh initial in this powerful experience because you know this stuff's pretty this stuff's mind-altering is the most common everyday objects become incredibly sensational you, you see things there that and people that have had these experience you could spend all day just looking at your shoe the complexities involved in there you're not always aware of that because you got to go through your your daily experience you got all these tasks you have to do and you, you don't want you know and every artist knows this if you stare at something long enough and you're drawing it you're painting it you're studying it because you know art is problem solving you really get in this meditational state where you see things other people don't and, and you know the object of a lot of artists is they want to sell something or make something profound so they really you really meditate concentrate on you know something like a shoe like i was saying and it can become fantastic so what these hallucinogenic experiences do is um, they, they really take you into the complexities. And you know, when you look at the quantum world, how many of us want to be overwhelmed with protons and neutrons and atoms and see all that stuff buzzing around and spinning around and, and, and you know, thousands of miles per second and all the energy that's coming out of there? You know, if, you're, if you're, you want to get on, you're, you want to drive down the road and get to work. You don't want to see all the protons and neutrons and atoms floating around and move, making all their little sounds. And so there's probably a reason we don't focus on that. But when, but the hallucinogenic often gives you a window into that world, the, the, the miniature. Uh, various people have said with the ayahuasca experience that you go into the microscopic. And that would be, uh, I, I guess, what happened in this situation. And it's just fantastic. Because not only do you hear it, but the colors are at an intensity that's beyond anything you've experienced before. Or at least I hadn't experienced colors so intense, I couldn't look at them. I mean, it's dark in my room, that doesn't matter. Because these colors are so... and, and you can feel them, you can hear them. And they're conscious, they're speaking in maybe a language, and they're spinning around. Thousands of them, bright colors. And this is the stage where you get overwhelmed by sensation. The wow factor is times a thousand. And it can be so overwhelming that it can scare the shit out of you. Or you can be like, wow, dude, this is amazing, and get really preoccupied with this experience. I I call it the fireworks experience times a thousand. A million. (laughs) So the ooh-wah factor initially takes over and with with this plant yopo it doesn't matter and with ayahuasca it doesn't matter if your eyes are open or closed you, it just keeps going and multiplying and it has a mind of its own and you can't stop it you can't you can't there's no it there's no the accelerator is the plant using the accelerator so either you set back and, and and i think with experience observe it and understand it and or, or just let it happen and, and not resist it. But what you do when it's so overwhelming is you do resist it. You You get scared. It's just it's it's just too much sometimes, at least when you're not used to it. And that's, that, that's what happens in the initial stages, is that then this may go on for a while. These are incredibly unworldly bright colors spinning and shooting around and repetition within repetition within repetition that never stops, uh, Sometimes it'll be black and white and still overwhelming. So that's an initial stage. And sometimes that's what people get preoccupied with. And that's, that's kind of early on stuff. But there's much deeper realms that will take place. There's phases. And that's what you have to have experience and discipline to initiate into these phases. Because they're so extremely powerful and so mind-altering that you resist going into them. You, you don't let yourself go into these deeper, alternate realities, or, or what I call more expansive reality. You have your culture, you have your religion, you have your laws intact. These breach all of that. There's no morality in there. There's, it, it's, it's, it's the universe raw. And you, that's, yeah, it can be really powerful. And it can be prophetic. It can take you into different time periods. And here's the thing that happened to me. And I, I don't want to go... I don't have all day to go into this experience. It lasted... With Yopo... With Ayahuasca, it's much longer. With Yopo, it's initially an hour and a half. Oh, my God. But it can be so intense that two minutes would be too much. So when you go into these deeper realms, these alternate realities... But the experience is so expansive and so beyond anything that you have the ability to describe that you really you have to be there, and that's what I often say. People are skeptical, and you know, they, if they have, you know, and a lot of scientists that they write all these articles about. Here's what ayahuasca does. Here's what yopo does. Here's what LSD does. Here's what filocybin mushroom does. It's like you just you got to have the experience. You know, it's like with a sex. It's like with um, tasting something. If you've never tasted um, wine or if you've never tasted um, a a good wine, if you've never tasted an incredible sweet, an incredible well-made pie, you can't really explain that. If you have done those things, you can't explain it to somebody that hasn't. So there is that you have to do it thing, and I'm going to fall short on that. Because if you're not doing it, if you haven't done it, and then people, I have a lot of friends out there that have done, that they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to explain, but here's the thing, and this is just one tiny experience in that night, and the time factor stops. You, there's no time, and then even worse than that, is eventually, in the, in the really deep stages, you disappear. You dissolve into the complexities of the universe, and you get to see these things Without the stipulate. Much like you're dreaming. When you're asleep, you, your dreams can take you and have you do things you can't do in the restrictions of your morality and your culture. The dream just lets you go. You can have sex with your neighbor's wife. And there's no problem with that. You know, you have there's there's a there's the temptation. You think about doing it, but you're not going to do it because you know it's it's not going to be a good thing for your marriage and for, and for later on. Or maybe it'll be a good thing. I don't know but the dream allows you to to investigate the properties if you did do that i guess and i think that's you, when you go into this these alternate realities that's what happens there's no uh, you're not your morality and your control factor is totally gone and, and 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 the plant takes over and the medicine person takes over and this is where you can go into trauma you can go into post traumatic stress disorder you can really look into things that you don't have the capacity to look into when you're conscious and when you're back in the nine-to-five reality, back in your culture. So when you're in these profound states, you can look at sides of an issue, uh, uh, an injury or a war you're in, and get an experience you never realized was there. And you can come to terms with things that are highly unusual outside of that format. And that's why it's called a medicine, because it has the ability to to heal deep traumas, because you can look into those. without It kind of unplugs the, the pain sometimes. I, now, that's my experience. It could be, you could get all that pain, you do. Uh, you have a death-like experience with, with these hallucinogenics, at least I do, not everybody does, that's extremely frightening. So there is that aspect too. So I want bypassing all that, because we're, we're kind of into the hour and a half uh, broadcast time limit here, and. and I have to sort of end, end things. So, basically, I encounter these beings that are totally not human. And I've never seen beings like this before. And there's all these different levels of reality that all these different beings exist in. And I think I've explained this before, what I call outside of that, because there's really no words television hats, these these huge beings that have fire. Light I think it's better. So intense I can't look at them. And inside that are all these other multiplicity of realities. Inside the head of that being is you're you're in there and you're experiencing this all these other alternate beams. So so just looking at that being with this huge head that I have miles wide that is a doorway into all these other realities, where all these other beings live. There's just a multitude of consciousness and beings of unexplainable dimensions. And they're looking at you in, in, in a way that just that they can look into every single cell in your body. They can look into the energy inside those cells. Who are those beings? How can they look at me? And, and sometimes they're in the future, sometimes they're in the past. And and there's just a there's an unlimited multitude of varying beings in the in that in this moment I was experiencing. And and what I felt was just like less than dust. I just my I was meaningless. Whatever I thought was important wasn't important. Because I realized there's these fantastic levels of consciousness of beings that I never knew were there. And they're all over my room. My, but, Basically, the roof of my house is off. I'm looking into the stars and the universe and experiencing a multitude of consciousness, and it's so real. It's absolutely hardcore real. There's just no way to to see it as anything else but that. And that's when I use the term, these experiences are more real than the real that you think you're living in. And that's what's frightening. That's what's frightening is when you realize that you have this very limited small view of reality. That your culture's taught you or your religion or, or whatever. The what your parents taught you, your experiences have taught you, this is what reality is. When you lose that, you know, like you get Alzheimer's or something, you kind of start going nuts. You, you kind of start losing what it is that's you. I mean, there's reasons for those limitations. I, I understand that. But the hallucinogenic, and this experience for me, the, this beautiful plant that I love. I love this plant. I, this plant is dear to me. It's it's a friend. But it's taken a long time to learn that that effect is a, a passageway, is a receiver and a transmitter that allows me to see these things. And it takes a long. You can. I could spend. The rest of my life on that event alone. That's how profound and deep it was. When I came out of this, I just I didn't I was like, what was that? What am I? Where am I? And it it sort of echoes in there. It's like you have this 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 understanding of a multiplicity of realities that you never had before. And then you start to wonder what what is the meaning of everything or anything. And in essence, I guess for a lack of words, you look into the face of God. You look into the creator, you look into the universe, and there's no filters. In this situation, there was absolutely no filters for you. And your your sanity is on the edge. Your, your understanding is on the edge. The time doesn't exist in a way you've ever understood before. The planet Earth, I don't even know where it's at. Where am I at? The, and this is what I say is why you need a guide, you need a shaman not only during the experience, but after. You know, like in Zen, you had a Roshi, you had a teacher that's there to help you when you have these very powerful experiences in the Rinzai Zen experience, you know, in, in, in embracing emptiness, embracing what is a larger reality. You know, when you have these visions, these profound visions like the prophet Muhammad, like Joseph Smith and the Mormon faith, like uh, so many other mystics have had. Jacob Baum, I talk about him constantly. The Profound experiences that defy reality and description. And that's the problem, is you realize you kind of have your own vision. (laughs) You have your own, in the Mormon way, your own first vision. What do you do? And some people form religions. Some people write books. Some people go on, on these big trips and lecture to people all over the world. You know, whatever and some of us just try to keep it on a personal level. we can't really explain it fully but it's an experience that may take years to unravel the complexities and the level of knowledge that's in that hallucinogenic I don't even like that word otherworldly event and I, I I don't expect you to understand if you haven't had that experience and and that's that's what I'm saying. You can make fun of it all you want. Oh dreams. Oh ayahuasca. Oh you know, because you're you have this baseline of reality and you think that's how everything is, or you wanna think that. When you get scared on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you're gonna repel down this cliff that's a thousand feet high, and you don't know what you're doing, it's pretty damn frightening. It can kill you. But until you do it, it's kind of hard to explain. Until you repel repel down the wall with the ropes and the safety devices or none at all. You you don't know what it is. And so that's my thing. You can be rational all you want. But until you've had that experience, it doesn't really it's really hard to convey. So I'm just I'm just giving a little window into a little bit of this profound experience I had. I'm still trying to unravel it and I've had many Similar experiences and unsimilar since then. That even take me further. And that's why you could write books about that. And that's why you need the deeper cultural knowledge to guide you through these corridors because these people have done it for thousands of years. They have an idea of what you're getting into. Where you as a modern person, or as a first time user, or a second, or third, or fourth time, or maybe you never get any of that. You just always stay on the surface of that experience. And that's there are religions found around things like ayahuasca, and they have they have significant amounts of information to help you through this process. Okay, we're coming to the end of this to this broadcast. So, um, thank you for listening. I'm sorry I f- fall short on these things. I hope I've helped a little bit, given given some warnings, uh, some thoughts on hallucinogenics, some thoughts on pot, some thoughts on using stuff on a level that's very shallow or there's not a lot of understanding there and then also the the possibility is having a profound experience that can change your life that can heal you that can bring you into balance so i love you um as much as i can Uh, gunner wants to go for a walk he's ready the sun's up um And this is In Between Stations Radio on 3731 kilohertz in the 80 meter band. We're going to play a song, and then we're going to sign off the air. Good night, good morning, and we'll see you. This is In Between Stations Radio.